chapter sixteen of the subjection of isabel carnaby this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the subjection of isabel carnaby by ellen thornycroft fowler chapter sixteen forsaken on her return from her ill-starred honeymoon janet insisted upon taking up her abode at gaythorne rectory as if nothing had happened she had read in the papers the account of gabriel's departure to london from newton abbot and had been wonderfully comforted by this proof that her husband was still alive but she absolutely refused to believe any ill of him she persisted that he must have had some good reason for rushing off to london in that strange fashion or else he would never have done so and she was convinced that before long he would return to gaythorne and take up his duties there with a full and satisfactory explanation of his apparently unjustifiable conduct her absolute faith in him remained unshaken but this attitude of mind on janet's part made things very awkward for other people the parish of gaythorne was practically without a rector and as carr had not resigned the living and there was no proof of his death but rather the contrary he still held the incumbency and therefore a new rector could not as yet be instituted in his place so it was arranged between the bishop and mrs gaythorne who were great friends that for the present at any rate janet and her mother-in-law should draw the stipend and stay on at the rectory while a curate should be paid by mrs gaythorne to take charge of the parish which was a very small one and to do duty in the church weeks rolled on and nothing further was heard of the missing gabriel it seemed as if the devonshire farmer had indeed seen the last of him and as if when he left the station of newton abbot he had disappeared for ever but his wife's faith in him remained untouched she still clung as closely as ever to her conviction that one day he would come back and explain everything and stand justified in the eyes of the world though how he would do it she had not the ghost of an idea mrs gaythorne however had her own explanation of his apparently inexplicable conduct she was bound to arrive at a conclusion of some sort as it was agony to her to feel that there was anything in heaven or earth undreamed of in her own peculiar philosophy i have made up my mind what has become of gabriel carr she announced one morning at breakfast a couple of months after the rector's disappearance her son and daughter-in-law were sitting with her at the table as well as isabel seaton who was spending a few days at gaythorne manor while paul delivered a course of political speeches in the north of england isabel had been very much attached to gabriel and very much surprised and disturbed at first by his disappearance but she had soon got over it it is astonishing how little power events outside the circle of her own household and family have in destroying the peace of the happily married woman things which would have agonized her in her single days hardly disturb her at all mrs paul seaton had much in common with the old woman who said that as long as her husband's dinner didn't disagree with him she didn't mind how soon there was a european war 
it is by no means an uncommon type for matrimony when reverently discreetly and advisedly taken in hand becomes an absorbing profession how clever of you mrs gaythorne exclaimed isabel do let us hear what it is i believe that ritualism and nothing else but ritualism is responsible for all the trouble replied mrs gaythorne as ever true to her colours but there is nothing in the ornaments rubric in favour of deserting your wife on her honeymoon argued the irrepressible isabel but there's something in the bible about people with wives being as though they hadn't any hastily added charlie wishing to agree with his mother and believing that he was doing so but mrs gaythorne was not so easily agreed with no charles i think you have misinterpreted that particular text but you shall look it up in the commentary as soon as you have finished your breakfast and see exactly what it means my impression however is that it was not intended to inculcate the regular practice of such behaviour as gabriel's charlie at once submitted he felt that with the best of intentions he had somehow made a mistake here fabia broke into the conversation he who weds and runs away may live to wed another day and another young woman mrs gaythorne pursed up her lips in stern disapproval no my dear gabriel carr was never one of that sort i have known him from a child and his mother before him and that is the last thing that either of them would ever think of doing still i must say there is something in fabia's idea said charlie he was always ready whenever it was possible to show up his wife to his mother in a favourable light this was one of the poor fellow's many conjugal mistakes there is nothing that a wife resents more than being screened by her husband from her husband's relations just as there is nothing that makes a husband more indignant than being translated with emendations by his wife in order to earn the approval of his wife's people yet the intention on both sides arises from the best of motives although it generally brings about the very result that it was originated to avoid unsanctified human nature cannot endure to be revised and bodlerized for the benefit of its in-laws we don't want to hear what you say we want to hear what mrs gaythorne thinks was fabia's unwifely retort poor charlie again subsided what is your idea about gabriel carr mrs gaythorne fabia continued it is not an idea fabia it is a conviction it has been borne in upon me that gabriel has so saturated his mind with popish notions about monks and nuns and celibates and all sorts of profane nonsense of that kind that they turned his brain never very strong at the best of times or else he would not have gone in for the mummeries he did by the way what do they call a nunnery for monks mrs gaythorne always shammed ignorance upon subjects such as this in the same way as his majesty's judges frequently feign an ignorance to which they really have no claim with regard to matters unconnected with their high profession 
just as a judge would feel it incumbent upon him in his official capacity to assume innocence regarding race meetings and the like so mrs gaythorne felt it incumbent upon her high calling as a militant protestant to know nothing whatsoever about the ceremonies and institutions sanctioned by catholicism in any form i suppose you mean a monastery replied fabia monastery indeed i should rather call it a monkey-house retorted mrs gaythorne with grim humour well i am convinced that gabriel was suddenly seized with a ridiculous and papistical notion that all clergymen ought to be bachelors and so he fled away from janet into a monastery what are those horrible places called where no women are admitted and nobody is allowed to speak fabia trappist monasteries do you mean yes that is the name and a very suitable name too for they are indeed traps set by the devil to catch the souls of men not long ago i read a novel about a man who after he was married remembered that he was a trappist monk so he at once gave up being married and returned to his monastery i thought it a most improper proceeding on his part but i feel convinced in my own mind that poor gabriel has gone and done likewise but carr wasn't a trappist before his marriage objected captain gaythorne his mother shook her head ominously you never can tell what those high church parsons may be in disguise i dare say he was a trappist and a jesuit as well if we only knew lots of them are and believe that they are thereby doing good service but carr would never have justified a married man going into a monastery unless there'd have been some rattling good reason for it persisted charlie you can bet your boots upon that anybody who will justify a man under any circumstances in hiding himself from one of those dreadful horrible nunneries will justify anything replied mrs gaythorne unwittingly speaking the truth as a man in a nunnery would indeed be as dreadful a thing as a lion among ladies and charles never again let me hear you use such an objectionable word as bet for betting is one of the things that i have never allowed either you or your father to indulge in and never shall i don't agree with mrs gaythorne that gabriel has followed hamlet's advice and got him to a nunnery said isabel but i shouldn't be surprised if she were correct in the spirit if not in the letter and that some impractical and quixotic notion were accountable for his disappearance i feel certain that he thought he was doing right or he wouldn't have done it charlie looked doubtful it's all very well to be romantic and quixotic and all that sort of thing but deserting your wife on your honeymoon is rather a large order i agree with charlie's notion said fabia that janet bored him so intensely that he literally could not stand another day of her charlie beamed with pleasure at the great compliment fabia paid him in endorsing his opinion on any matter he is a clever sort of chap and he wanted a clever sort of wife to keep him company don't you know 
i dare say mrs gabriel carr isn't a dazzling genius remarked isabel but i shouldn't have called her by any means a fool she seemed to me the pleasant easy-going sort of girl that one asks in at the last moment to make the fourteenth at table and things of that kind i saw her once or twice before her marriage and that is how she struck me not too clever to get married and yet too stupid to remain single the sort of woman that makes a man really happy isabel was always ready and more than ready to do justice to another woman but she's so short captain gaythorne like lord byron hated a dumpy woman still he knew that when he proposed to her retorted mrs seaton it is absurd to marry a woman of five foot three and then to run away because she doesn't grow to five foot six before the end of the honeymoon if you want outside ladies size you must order it in the first instance i did replied charlie looking at his tall wife with adoration in his honest eyes we are all as god made us said mrs gaythorne her voice heavy with reproof but you can't deny that you are glad that there was no skimping in your case mrs gaythorne and that you were cut out a good five foot seven with ample material for bodice isabella carnaby do not be flippant it was a habit of mrs gaythorne's frequently to address married ladies by their maiden names it was also her habit never to use a diminutive diminutives being among the numerous things of which she disapproved i'll try not but it is difficult to change the habits of a lifetime at my age replied mrs seaton meekly nevertheless added mrs gaythorne who was nothing if not accurate i confess that it is a cause of thankfulness on my part that it was ordained by providence that i should not be a small or insignificant person presence is a thing which i have always considered most important my dear isabella isabella was not isabel's name but mrs gaythorne thought it ought to have been and so invariably addressed her by it she regarded the name isabel in the light of a diminutive and disapproved of it accordingly it's always a mistake for a fellow to marry a dowdy little woman said charles sententiously frumps have no staying power and it is an equally grave mistake for a girl to marry a fool replied fabia charlie winced but isabel came to his rescue lots have to or they'd never get married at all nobody but a fool would propose to them thus gabriel carr's friends discussed his mysterious disappearance and none of them could come to any satisfactory conclusion since none of them knew of the tragedy which had occurred upon dartmoor on the night of the fog that was known to only two living people and of these the instinct of self-preservation forbade the one to tell and nobody would accept the testimony of the other so the secret was in safe-keeping janet was very brave but her sorrow told upon her her face grew older and her figure less plump and the merry look died out of her hazel eyes but she carried a bold front before the world and she abundantly fulfilled her duty to her husband's parish she was an ideal wife for any clergyman and even the overwhelming blow which had well-nigh crushed her in no wise interfered with her adequacy in adorning the lot to which she had been called 
the parish of gaythorne was but a small parish it is true but it was better looked after than any other parish in the county every cottage being constantly visited and every sick person carefully ministered to by janet herself thus her desolate days were filled with deeds of charity and acts of mercy and so were kept from being quite as desolate as they would otherwise have been for work and especially work for others is the best panacea for the pain of the human heart another source of comfort to janet was the possession of a gift which is usually reserved for the stronger sex and is rarely bestowed upon women namely the gift of not seeing anything that she did not wish to see women as a rule are too keen-sighted and too quick in their perceptions to be able to close their eyes at will for a stone wall is generally to them as plate glass but men happy creatures have a marvellous power of not seeing the unpleasant truth at all unless they desire to do so even though you may illuminate it with chinese lanterns and dangle it under their very noses they will remain as blind as if it were an undiscovered planet they do not choose to see it therefore for them it does not exist most men are mute inglorious nelsons putting the telescope to their blind eyes when they think the signals will be against their wishes it is a most comfortable and convenient custom and shows the superior wisdom of the sex which is proficient in it janet carr however had less subtlety than the majority of women and less quickness of perception as a matter of fact she was almost as easily deceived when she wished to be as a man she had none of that marvellous power of intuition which distinguishes some and not always the cleverest women and she had intensely strong and deeply rooted prejudices things which are always useful as blinkers therefore the stream of gossip about gabriel flowed by her unheeded she was as little affected by it as a man would have been but janet's chief stronghold lay in the fact that she never for a moment doubted her husband or questioned the purity of his motives and the soundness of his wisdom in leaving her what wise reason had prompted his apparently unaccountable action she of course could not tell but that there was a reason and an all-sufficient one she had not the faintest shadow of a doubt thus she not only fulfilled her duty to her husband's parish but she also fulfilled her duty to her husband the parish priest she regarded the husband as the head of the wife and therefore held that it was not in the wife's province to criticize his actions nor to question his motives she was accountable to him but he was not accountable to her it was a counsel of perfection perhaps but perfection does not spell impossibility otherwise be ye perfect would never have been a command issued to the sons of men janet carr implicitly obeyed the apostolic injunction that wives must be in subjection to their own husbands she had no new-fangled modern notions as to the equality of the sexes and the independence of the wife she was content to accept the holy estate of matrimony as what god and church ordained it to be 
and she did not trouble her mind with problems as to the permanence of home life or the sanctity of marriage to her marriage was a sacrament and was therefore not open to observation and she held as most unseemly the modern habit of setting aside by means of problem novels and scientific treatises and open discussion in the daily papers the very oracles of god she would as soon have thought of wondering whether the grass were red or the sky green as of wondering whether the bond of holy wedlock were dissoluble she believed in her husband's integrity with all her heart believed that what he had done had been done with the best of motives and would end in the most satisfactory of results but if she had not believed this it would have made no difference at all in her attitude towards him if she could have been convinced that he had purposely forsaken her and had been wholly unfaithful she would not have regarded herself as one whit the less his wife or considered her duty to him as in any way cancelled such was the simple faith of janet carr an outworn creed according to modern notions and one which contained in its vocabulary no such words as incompatibility of temper temperamental differences and the like but it satisfied her and was founded upon the truth according to her judgment and i think also that she like st paul had the spirit of god End of chapter 16